0: Uh, I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. We have been working our way through this book of Ephesians, and we find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 through 21. Let me begin reading at verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for this is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we open Your Word, um, I pray that... uh, We would have respect for this word, have uh, due reverence for what you have said in your word. Lord, help us to, to not just have a reverence, but go beyond that and submit ourselves to your word. Submit ourselves to your thinking, to what you say, your thoughts, your actions, your philosophy of life, your worldview. Your priorities. Lord, it's only then that we will find happiness. When we pursue uh, glorifying and honoring you. And we recognize that it's from your word. We, we start there. Now I pray as we open your word today. That, that you would be honored. That you would be glorified as your word goes forth. That your word would go forth with clarity. We would have a proper understanding of what you are saying to us here today. We thank you, Lord, for your word and how it guides our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have been studying through Ephesians. And in Ephesians, we have seen that Paul's concern is, is for this newly church or this new church that has come together, this newly developed church, and uh, probably small at this time, at this juncture, and Paul thinks that it's important for him to communicate some essential truths about the church. And really, when we, we, we look at it as doctrine about the church, but it's really doctrine about God. It's what God is doing in their midst. And Paul lays it out. The first uh, three chapters. He lays out to them. To these Ephesian believers. New Ephesian believers. What God is doing in their midst. What what has happened to them. And Paul lays this out. in, In more theological methodology if you would. And... Then he says, now we want to begin to apply that. Because if God is working, then it has to filter down some way to our daily life. And it does. And he tries to make this as practical as possible. But the, the point being is that when God is working, there is an impact in your life. It will be there. There will be an impact that is seen, that is some way visible and that's uh, Paul's, uh, what Paul is calling your walk. And uh, we have been looking from chapter 4 through to the point where we are now in chapter 5 about the believer's walk, what the believer is to do. And he has given us a lot to do. And there's a, there's a lot of ways in which God has impacted our life and it's working its way out in our lives. But then sometimes we're we're just overwhelmed by the by the information, by the amount of commands and the the the, the demands upon our life uh, from this because it's essentially total surrender. So we have to ask the question: Is what do I do next? What exactly do I do? I get the big picture now, Paul. What do I do? And Paul gives us somewhat of a, a grocery list. Of things to do next this is, this is real concrete This is what you need to do And it actually starts in verse 15 With the word therefore It's kind of summing up All that I've said This big picture that I've painted for you Comes down to these very few principles right here And they're very impactful Obviously As God has impacted our lives in a, in a huge way our daily lives will be impacted as well. Now let me go back and read verse 15 because this is where we left off from last week and we want to pick up the first three that we had. By the way, there is a handout sheet in your bulletin if you would like to take uh, notes there and uh, follow along that way. In verse 15 he says, Be careful how you walk. So so he's he's getting down to the nitty-gritty on a daily basis. Here's what you do. You've got the big picture. God has has chosen you. He has given you every spiritual blessing. He has called you to Himself. He has included you into His family. Now, here's what you do. It all comes down to these, these things. And we are applying these things to our church today, to our hearts today. As Paul was applying these things to the church in Ephesus because God had an impact in their life, we see, amazingly, the impact of God in our own lives. And that impact is going to impact us in the same way. So we bring these same principles to bear upon our lives. And the first command, and the the first broad category, and it really is kind of a category, is a careful walk. Take care how you walk, he's saying. Give attention. Be alert how you walk. And here's how you do it. First of all, be wise. Now, we've kind of labeled these things. To There's seven elements to our day. Seven elements to our day. And we looked at the first three last week. There's the mental element. And he says to be wise, not unwise. So... The implication is is that we take all that we know and what we understand then about God and we begin to apply it. There's some wisdom there. There's some application of what we know. It's not just filling our heads with wisdom. This is the practical, everyday wisdom. He says, now, now be wise. Be wise. God has had the impact. Now work it out in your life in a practical way. So that's the mental element of our day. And we kind of talked about that last week. Sometimes we, we don't even think about the mental element of our day. We don't, our minds don't even work sometimes. We just get up and just do. But there's a conscious effort in the morning to say, Lord, whatever you bring in my life today, I want to, I want to, um, see it wisely. So we have the mental element of our day. And that is to be wise, not unwise. So in this careful walk, that's the first step. The second step is the way we spend our time. Verse 16, making the most of your time. There's the time element of our day. Every day we have 24 hours in a day. Now, I was corrected last week, because last week I said that the Lord has given us the same amount of time that He did last year, you know? I was wrong. Someone said, I forgot, we have an extra day this year because it's a leap year. Now, I don't know how that calculates into everything, but some way I'm not, I'm not real, um, impressed maybe or, or pleased or excited about an extra day. Some way it's gonna get squeezed out, unfortunately. But that's the way it is. We have so much time. And he's saying, make the most of your time, because the days are evil. And we discussed that. Number two, the time element of our day. If we're going to have a careful walk, we have to be careful about our time. And it has to be efficient. There's another element of our day. And the third element that we talked last week about is the directional element of our day. We will take our day in a certain direction. Our day will go in a certain direction. There will be certain demands on our time and our day will sometimes run itself. But Paul says, so then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The direction of your day should be the direction that God wants your day to be. The will of God. Now, that's kind of broad and that's kind of big, but that's what Paul wants us to to keep in mind is That God has demands on our time and and our direction and he wants us to go Have a certain focus and that focus is his will His will and then that will is, is spelled out for us in the word of God now Those are the three things, the three elements that we looked at last week. We're going to try to get through the next four this week. Now, here's the point. Let me go back to the point. Here's what we were saying. The result of God's impact in our lives or in your life must trickle down to the elements or the essential elements of your day. The essential elements of your day. If God has had no impact in your life, then you will not care if you're wise or foolish. You will not care about the amount of time that God has given you to spend. You will not care about the direction of your life. But if God has had an impact on your life, you better take care. You better be alert. These are demands on our life. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 5... Verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine. Now you see the and there is the connection with the chain. It's just that, it's just part of, here's another thing to do in your day. Another element of your day. And I just labeled this, the dominating influence of your day. Did you know you have a dominating influence in your day? You say, well, I just stay home and watch TV. Well, there's a lot of dominating influence Right there on TV. Sometimes your own mind. Your own thoughts. They're the dominating influence on your day. Sometimes other people. Are the dominating influence of your day. Paul is talking about. A dominating influence. You will have a dominating influence. On your day. He says do not get drunk with wine. For this is dissipation. But be filled with the spirit. And. In this context, he's talking about the dominating influence of your day being the Holy Spirit, not anything else. Now, he brings up the command, and it is a command. It's an imperative here in the Greek, and he's saying don't get drunk with wine. Now, I don't think that that's the the emphasis Of This passage he's not developing a theology of why we should not get drunk. It's just a command He's throwing it out there, and I think he's got other things in mind He's wanting to to make a point with this particular command But what we do know in scripture is that being drunk is forbidden drinking in scripture drinking wine is not necessarily forbidden in scripture, but being drunk is being drunk is the state of having alcohol having an influence in our on our mind, isn't it? it? It changes the way we think, changes the way we look at other people. It changes our actions, it changes our moods. It has an influence on a dominating influence in our life. In Scripture, turn over to uh, Romans chapter thirteen. I want you to see. This uh, concept in Scripture of being drunk—it's never Scripture never puts being drunk as permissible. It is always a sin in Scripture. Being drunk, and let me go beyond that. We—it's in the category of things that people do who are not saved who are not believers, who do not have God in their life at all. Romans chapter 13, verse 13. Let us behave properly, as in the day, not in carousing or drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity, not in sensuality, not in strife or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Now the categories that he puts in are... are, Sexual promiscuity, jealousy, strife, sensuality. Look at uh, another one. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Drunkenness is not seen favorably in Scripture at all. And it is a command by Paul, by God himself, to not be drunk. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 11. But actually I wrote to you not to associate with the so-called brethren if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater. Look at the categories that, that are here. An idolater or a reviler or a drunkard. There's our word. Or a swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. So the categories of being drunk... Are placed with those categories that are not affiliated, not associated with being a Christian at all, and I think that's the point. I think that's what Paul is is pulling out. And this is something that he does not have to to spend a lot of time on. We should understand that the dominant influence of our life or our day should not be alcohol. I think uh, I think that. Uh, that has been made clear in scripture and even in the uh, even in the unsaved world i think uh, i think people could make an argument for that i think paul has i, I don't think paul is making the deal uh, or emphasizing the fact of being drunk with wine but he's wanting to pull out the illustration of what being drunk is and that's a dominant influence on your mind on your Attitude on your thoughts on your actions basically on every part of your day And it's a perfect illustration, isn't it because it dominates it dominates You've you've probably seen if not in person at least on TV those people who are dominated by alcohol and in fact alcohol has such a an impact even when someone is not filled with alcohol their mind is thinking, "How can I get the next drink? How can I get the, the, the buzz? It continues to dominate many times to the point of alcoholism. I can't wait to get home and, and get drunk and get wasted, or you've heard those, you've heard those statements it is not good paul paints it in a negative light it's something that is assumed in the christian life we do not get drunk and it uses it's it's the perfect illustration for what paul wants to use it for it says do not get drunk with wine because this is dissipation this is that which is unable to save that's what dissipation means it's unable to save or be saved it's that, it's, it's referring to, to loose living. Um, it's referred to in Luke chapter 15 about the prodigal son. It's just dissipation. It's meaningless of, of life, devoid of anything that is worth salvaging. There's no sol- redeeming qualities in it. It's, it's drunkenness. It has a dominant influencing effect on our life. Now, he says this is the negative and he starts out with a negative command here but he's wanting to illustrate the positive. Don't get drunk with wine. Now that's a command but the dominant command in this verse is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Just as alcohol affects your mind and your thinking, your attitude, your feelings every element of your being, then allow the Holy Spirit to have that influence in your life. The dominant influence in our life must be the Holy Spirit. And that's the point. Just as, just as wine goes into the body and has its effect on the mind, or strong drink, so does the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit takes up residence within you, he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the point here, or, or the, the, the idea of being filled, is a cup of water filled all the way to the top. It's that water dominates that cup. That water permeates that cup. That water has filled that cup. There's nothing else in that cup but water. That's the idea. That's the idea of being filled. Now let me tell you what it's not. Let me just run through this and then we'll look at what being filled means. It's not some kind of suddenly energized um, spiritual experience that, that brings us up to a spiritual level. It's not that. Sometimes people people see this filling of the spirit like you, you you're raised up to perfection, or some higher spiritual plane or higher spiritual level. It's not some kind of zapping from the Lord. It's just it's that's not what He's talking about. Another thing that it is not, it's not the flesh trying to work out something and and get God's approval on. It's not some kind of legalistic. Uh, stoically i 'm going to do the right thing and and i 'm going to please god in this and and god i 'm going to get god 's blessing some kind of legalistic way that's that 's not being filled with the spirit either it's not a process it's not being indwelt by the spirit, is not being baptized by the spirit or, or being sealed with the spirit or secured by the spirit. Those things are already done in the believer's life. We are never commanded, we're never commanded to be to be sealed with the Spirit or to be secured or to be baptized in the Spirit. Those things are already happened. If you're a believer, those things are true about your life. But what is may not be true is that moment-by-moment moment influence or dominating influence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's a couple of things that I want you to notice about the term itself, to, to be filled or, or be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, the idea here is found in first or second peter chapter 1 verse 21 and and first or peter talks about how the uh, those godly men were born along moved along by the holy spirit to write the word of god you see their personality come out you see their uh, their individuality come out but they're dominated by the holy spirit in their writing and the idea is wind filling a sail on a sailboat and being driven along by the wind. There's a dominating influence on that sailboat, isn't there? It's called wind. Another idea is, is permeation. And you put salt on meat that, that permeates that meat. And um, it's to preserve the meat. But that's the idea. The salt just permeates in it, and it fi- infiltrates every part of that meat to where, um, it's a characteristic that's e- even into the taste of the meat. And the idea is total control. Sometimes, and th- you can see the list there on the screen, sometimes we're, we're, we're filled with sorrow. You can see the reference there. Or fear, or fear grips our hearts. Or or dominated by anger. He's an angry person. Faith is actually one of those things that is supposed to feel the believer. And uh, Ananias and Sapphira, it was characteristic of them. Why has Satan filled your heart? They were filled. They were dominated by Satan's influence. Now, you can get a, a proper understanding there, but I, the, uh, the term is also, this is a verb, it's to be filled, but it's a continuous action verb. It's a verb that's in continuous action, and it actually should be translated, be being kept filled. That's actually the way it is. It's a continuously being filled. It's moment by moment being filled. It's kind of like, for us, it's kind of like filling up a colander. You put water in it and it just goes right out. So it's just constantly being filled. Moment by moment. It's also a passive. There's a, it's a passive verb. Now, what does that mean? I'm sure that warms your heart to know that. But think about this. It's, it's passive in that you don't feel yourself. You are being filled. You don't do the action. You just allow the action to be done to you. That's what it means. That's what the, that's literally it. Be being kept filled by the Holy Spirit. It's a continuous thing that's happening to you, and you are simply yielding yourself to that. It's not something that you're doing, but it, You're allowing to be done to you. And the idea is just what we read, what Ben read on the screen in Galatians chapter 5. Those who walk by the flesh do the desires of the flesh. But those who walk by the Spirit fulfill the desires of the Spirit. So what do we do? We stop walking to the flesh and we yield ourselves because our nature is the flesh. We yield ourselves to the Spirit. And allow the Spirit, day by day, moment by moment, to have His impact in our life. In fact, what it is, it's that emptying of self, isn't it? Self can flare up at any moment, at any time. It can dominate me. But it's uh, being filled with the Spirit is, is that yielding of self, emptying of self. It's confessing of sin. It's surrendering my will, my intellect, my body, my time, my talents, my possessions to God, to the Spirit. It's, it's emptying ourselves of selfishness and putting the Holy Spirit's will And His influence into our lives. The filling is entirely the work of the Holy Spirit. We simply are submissive to that. Now, we can see the illustration, can't we? Don't be dominated by drink, but be dominated and influenced by the Holy Spirit. So on a daily basis, on a daily basis, we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. Now you say, well, how does that work? What do I do? Is the Holy Spirit sitting on my shoulder, whispering words in my ear, telling me exact, don't take that step, go over this way. Don't don't go over here, go over there. Well, it's not quite like that. It can be. The Holy Spirit has written... For us, His Word. I referred to this earlier. It's, it was men of God who wrote the Word, borne along by the Holy Spirit. Everything that we need to know, the will of God, the will of the Holy Spirit, is right here. And so there's a correlation to me being filled with the Spirit and me being filled with the Word of Christ. In Colossians, it says, And as I know this word of God, the Holy Spirit brings those verses to mind. He brings to mind these principles, these values, these these priorities in my life. And those are what has the dominant influence in our lives. And the Holy Spirit, He'll He'll recall the Word of God to our lives, or these principles to our lives many times. Now let me try to apply this to our to our church. The early church, when we look at the early church and what they accomplished, it was an amazing feat. It was amazing things that that happened. There was such zeal there, the power that was there, the dedication and loyalty to the church, the love for the church, the love for God that was the kind of thing that turned their world upside down. Now we can read back into Scripture and say, well, how did they do that? And try to come up with a methodology to, to, re, to replicate that so that we can have a church that's full of zeal and power and love. But really the answer is right here. The answer is right here. If we want a church with that kind of dynamic, it's going to come through the filling of the Holy Spirit of the people who are in this church. That moment by moment, that decision by decision, that thought by the thought, and action by action, submitting themselves to the will of the Holy Spirit. It's emptying of self, saying no to self, and saying yes. Lord, those used to be my priorities, I used to do these things, but I will not do those things any longer. That's the idea. We don't we don't use church growth methods for something that really the only the Holy Spirit does. We could try to manufacture these things. We can have strategies. We can have powerful speakers or personalities. Those things. Um. That people have tried, but really it comes down to this very thing: is the people being filled with the Spirit on a daily, by day by day basis, a moment by moment basis? Are they emptying themselves of themselves so that God can fill them? Now, just by way of application, what is the dominant what is the dominant influence of your day? It might be TV. That, that just the ideas, the values, the, the attitudes that you pick up on TV just have an impact on your day. And it, it, you go around just mimicking what you hear on TV. It might be other people. <clears throat> Something will dominate your day. Will impact your day, it might just be your own thoughts, your own sinfulness that we just continue to yield to sometimes it's it 's drugs, unfortunately, we have a, a, a whole culture that seems to think that drugs is the answer now in paul 's day uh, any some people some of the commentators that I read think that he was alluding to the the uh, the worship of the false gods. And they would use drinking in that element. And they would bring themselves to a, to a fever pitch and they would think that they're communing with the gods. And uh, it, would be, it would just be a, an emotional state that uh, was somewhat self-inflicted, somewhat alcohol-induced. And so Paul might have that in mind. We don't go there. We don't induce that kind of, of uh, emotion into our worship of, of self, but it's dominated by the Holy Spirit. That was their worship. That's pagan worship. And wine and dissipation, those things were part of that. Paul says, no, that's not what is to be done among you. You don't go this way, you go this way. You be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, the dominating factor of your life must be the Holy Spirit. He's the one who leads us. So number five. There's an emotional element of your day. is actually a sub-outline, uh, let's say, to being filled with the Spirit. If you are filled with the Spirit, there's going to be emotions there. And your day is going to be dominated by the Holy Spirit. But but a dominating factor of that Holy Spirit is going to be joy. Being filled with the Spirit, at the end of verse 18, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing making melody, where? In your heart. To whom? To the Lord. He says, "Speaking to one another." That word is is to chatter. It's it's like baby talk. It's it, it doesn't does it, it really comes down to the the meaning of the word is just to make a sound. It's any sound. Any sound is to be pleasing to the Lord. It's to be it is to be a praise to God. Even in our chatter, our our daily conversation. I think singing is a good translation here, but it's not just that singing. But singing is a singing to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Psalms is the psalms of the Old Testament put to music. Hymns, we believe that those are praises sung specifically to Christ. Those would be New Testament psalms. Things that are, are directed toward Christ. Spiritual songs. That would be a broader category. that um, Talking about any, all these spiritual truths that we find in the Word of God. And that's what we've done today. We've been able to sing. We've enjoyed singing to one another. But notice, it's not just the singing to one another. That, that comes out. But it comes from the heart. This is not necessarily a public thing now, of course in the church there should be singing But that singing comes from where it comes from a heart that has been redeemed a heart that has been changed And um, he says making melody in your heart and the idea there is just any instrument Instrumental music. It's actually it means to pluck pluck an instrument and basically uh with with any instrument we are to we're to speak in fact he says then that we're to singing and making melody in your heart to the lord the singing there is with our voice and with instrument but the place of this singing is the heart that's where singing that's where the music resides (laughs) isn't that a isn't that a wonderful thought Because you're dominated by the Holy Spirit, there's a lightness in your heart. There's a joy that fills your day, no matter what the circumstances. So it's the channel of where, uh, it's the center part of where the music is located, is in the heart, and that's praise to God. But it's also the channel, it's through the heart... And it's also the cause by which we all sing to one another. So in our congregational singing, that's where it starts. That's where praise starts. It starts in the heart. Now you can have a superficial praise time. You can get a lot of unsaved people into our church and just praise That's not what Paul's talking about here. This is praise that comes from the heart. It starts with the individual, changed, redeemed heart. That's what we want. That's true praise and worship to God. It's a redeemed heart. A redeemed heart is different from the heart of the world, it has different ways, different standards, different attitudes and values. So we sing about God. We sing about Christ. We sing about the cross. We sing about spiritual things. The world has its own philosophy. Music of the world, or, or any music, reflects man's culture. reflects our culture. It just does. It reflects our focuses, our values, our priorities, our philosophies, our attitudes. It reflects our ideas. Music... Um, the music should uh, reflect the value. Our music should reflect the value of our word. Doesn't it? It shouldn't it? It should reflect the value of Scripture. Um, sometimes, so often, our 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 music is just so inculcated with culture that you can very uh, very seldom see any kind of spiritual redeeming characteristics. There, our our uh, singing should be different. Now you see on the screen there congregational singing. Now here's just a few ideas that that I've just kind of gleaned some from scripture, some from it's my own thinking. So you can throw this away after I read it. But here's number one: just congregational singing when we're singing together. It should come from the heart. I've already established that when we come together, it's it's corporate worship to the Lord. And so, number one is we sing not to draw attention to ourselves. We don't have people on stage to draw attention to them. That's not the point. It's there's it's not for entertainment value. It, it's not. It's not to to bring attention to any one person. You say, well, Mark's up here. He's drawing attention to himself. Yes, for the sake of leading the whole. Leading the whole. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But number two, our focus should be the Lord. When we're singing, we're praising the Lord. He is in the audience. We are on the stage. We are singing to Him. Our focus is to the Lord as a congregation. Now there's a principle in Second Chronicles chapter five when the people began to sing and they were in unison and the 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 cloud filled the temple and they were not even able to continue because the Lord was so pleased. But I I think there's a principle there of, of unison. We, we sing so much as individuals that we never seem to come together as, as a one, as a unit and sing praise to the Lord. We lose the individuality and we come corporately and become one before God and we, we're singing to Him and there's a, there's a unison there. And number four, the focal point of our singing is the words. Is the words. David. David was a, a musician. He could he could play music that would calm Saul uh, could would calm Saul. His music was so so good. He was a, he was um we would call professional musician. But you know what? David did not write his music down. There's many styles of music. The emphasis of David's music was on the words and he filled pages of words that glorify and honor god the words have to be the focus when we when we uh, sing hymns or we sing songs we have to be clear we have to be distinct they need to be biblically accurate words don't they the emphasis is on the words because we're singing these words to god in these words means something and so we emphasize the words not not so much the music. The music is obviously there, and, and actually that leads to the next, you know, the last point there. But number five, there should be some, some depth to these words. Now, we can get up and sing, you know, deep and wide, deep and wide, deep and wide. You know that song. And I, I think, what kind of spiritual, what is that? You know, deep and wide, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide. Do kids even understand that song? There's very little spiritual depth about that song. Unless someone takes the time to explain that element. Sometimes we sing, Father Abraham had many sons. And, and you just wonder, where's the spiritual depth of that? We want some spiritual depth in our, in our singing, in our words. And light on sentimentality. Sometimes we go heavy on the sentimentality. Th- this would be, what I mean is, is just what Peter did before Christ. He said, oh, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. I will go to death for you. Sentimentality. Oh, I just love you. I love you. I love you. And Peter was, within 24 hours, Peter denied Christ. Our sentimentality is kind of weak. We could talk about our love and proclaim it really big. But, man, unfortunately, it's not necessarily there. Strong on, on some depth of, of doctrine, spiritual words, but light on sentimentality, light on our, our self proclaiming, oh, we love you, God, and just look at us. God is the focus. Number six music should be a blessing to the believer. Music should be a blessing to believers. It should be a joy. When we come together, it's a joyous thing. And um, that adds to our praise. Music is a wonderful tool of the Lord to to help us even on our daily walk, our daily um, actions. And music... When we put words to music, we can use those to have that music going over and over and over our heads. It's not the music that's just going over in our heads. It's the words. It's the truths that are being brought along by that music. Let me ask you, and this is by way of application, and obviously I'm not going to get to the other points, so we'll have to pick that up next time, but just by way of application, is there a melody in your heart? As a result of a redeemed heart? Is there a joy there? Sometimes the circumstances of our life are so strong that the influence of the Holy Spirit and the joy that comes from being filled with the Holy Spirit is just not there. We've been beat down by the circumstances of our life. Where's the joy? Where's the joy? Do you have that? We've looked at two... (laughs) Two things. Just on a daily basis, something's going to dominate your life. Something will. It'll be someone. It'll be work. It'll be TV. It'll be drugs. It'll be alcohol. It'll be something will dominate your day. Even your own thinking. Well, we as Christians, we yield that thinking. We empty ourselves and be filled with the Spirit and allow Him to dominate our day. And as a result of that, we we have been given a joy, a lightheartedness that is there, that uh, is a characteristic of a redeemed life. And that's another element of our day, isn't it? We can have a smile on our face. We can go into our week with with confidence and with joy. It's not a superficial, just fat, dumb, and happy kind of idea. Oh, no, we just go into our day knowing, Lord, you are in control. I yield myself to you. Whatever you bring my way, that's fine. There's a lightness. There's a joy to that. And that should be part of the Christian's day. Let's pray. Father, we, we are so glad, Lord, to be able to read these words. And Lord, even though we go through these slowly, there's so much there that even can be, there's even more that should be said about these verses, about these few words that we've read. But Lord, help us to apply what we have gone through today. Help us to be submitted. Every action, every thought to the Holy Spirit. May our will line up with your will. May our words line up with your words. May we empty ourselves, Lord, and just be dominated by the Holy Spirit and His work in our life. We thank you for these things. and We are so unworthy, but we, we are grateful. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.